this first story that we're going to look at is in the, the middle part of Mark chapter 2. Let's start in verse 5. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, Take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now, we did cover that two weeks ago. We went into it into a little bit more detail. But today, it's setting us up for, like I said, these next five stories of Jesus demonstrating his authority over the authority of the day. The first time we see it is he he has a little exchange with these who are asking questions about whether he had the authority or not to forgive sins. And he says... That he does have the authority, but, but in the next five stories, what we're clearly going to see in each story is a, a very clear element of the gospel at play. And when we look at these five stories together, we're going to see the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly conveyed. And I believe that this is what the heart of Mark was. He wanted people to see this is the big picture. These are the things he was doing, but this is the big picture. And for the first part of the picture, we see what the paralytic is in verse 5. When Jesus saw their what? When Jesus saw their faith. That's different. In fact, Jesus functioned frequently in response to people's faith. But it was in them having faith in him allowed him to give this gift, which was given in grace. It was given in grace. Did the paralytic do anything? You could say, yeah, they broke down the roof. He didn't do that. His friends did that. What did Jesus commend them for? He commended them all for their faith. It is the beginning of the gospel for you and I. It's the beginning of understanding who God is and start to have a real right relationship with him. Look at verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him and he taught them as he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you know, we as individuals cannot have 
that right relationship with God through Jesus Christ until we come to the place that we realize that we're sick. And when we realize that we're sick and we need God to heal us, then Jesus has fellowship with us, just like he did with these. But notice, look at the big picture here. This is not just specifically Jesus talking about the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. There's something greater at play here. Jesus is saying to the righteous, it doesn't matter anymore what your works are. This is grace. This is them getting upset for him hanging out with people that he shouldn't be around. What did they do to garner the favor of the Son of God to be able to have dinner with him and hang out with him? What did they do? Nothing. It's a, it's a clear demonstration of the grace of God in the gospel. They respond first by faith. Now Jesus, by grace, is, is with them and intermingling. And the people who have the problem with it are those who believe that they are righteous. And that's right, I said believe because they're not really righteous. They're not. You're going to see later how they pump themselves up to be something that they clearly are detached from. I find uh, when I share the gospel with people or when I get to talk to people on one-on-one, it's very easy to find out if somebody really wants to have a relationship with God. Those people who realize that they need him and those people who just think that it's, it's part of a culture or society just to go to church, you know. There's not really much to talk about. But when we talk about Jesus, could you imagine how the, the tax collectors and the sinners felt that Jesus was hanging out with them? And I don't think we really understand. You guys know the backstory of the tax collectors, right? During that time, Rome was ruling over the nation of Israel. And, and for Rome to get its taxes, they would have these people who were Jews go throughout the land and they would collect taxes, but they wouldn't collect what the Roman government uh, was requiring. They would collect an exorbitant amount. They would collect more and they would give some to the Romans and they would keep the other for themselves themselves and the jews hated them like if there's a subculture in a culture that people hate the jews could not stand and hated the tax collectors who were their fellow jews and the son of man the son of god comes and who is he hanging out with i pray this sometimes you know i'm like lord who are the people that are the most hated in our society And you know what? This is, listen, this is going to ruffle your feathers a little bit, okay? But you know the first thing that came to mind? The first people group that came to mind is this, this subculture in America that is trying to get all of these rights for themselves because they've identified with a sexual identity that is different or opposite of what we say the Bible teaches, the homosexual community. I used to... I used to struggle with even talking to somebody who identified themselves as a homosexual. I'd go to rage mode. You're just, you know, you're, uh, it's unnatural and blah, 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 blah. But listen, this is the same thing that I believe was happening in the 60s with Pastor Chuck Smith when he was the one that was reaching out to these hippie kids during the sexual revolution when nobody else wanted to have anything to do with them. Nobody. 
They're dirty. They stink. Make sure they put their shoes on when they come in the door. And Chuck said, they're coming to listen to the word of God. Nobody's telling them to do anything. And his elder said, the carpet's going to start stinking because they're all walking around barefoot, these stinking hippies. And Chuck said, then we'll tear out the carpet. Sometimes we have to be willing to allow ourselves to be in an uncomfortable situation so that we can love people and give them the grace that we receive because we were never any better than them. I was never any better. And how can I do that? They don't need me to show them in the Bible where it says X, Y, Z. They need me to tell them that I love them no matter who they are and to present the gospel because the sick need a physician. And the only one that can heal is him, not me. Can I change their mind? Can I reason them out of a lifestyle that that has been ingrained in them even to the point now where it's culturally popular and relevant to identify a certain way? Hey, Who is it for you? Who can you think of that really gets under your skin? That you can't handle? That you can't stand? Maybe that person or group of people are the marginalized in our society. Maybe they're becoming the minority or whatever. But that need to hear the gospel even more than we can comprehend. I was listening to this Bible study on the radio the other day, and this guy rocked my world, seriously. There's so much talk about, you know, uh, purity and, and uh, the, the issues of pornography for men in the church these days. And I agree, definitely it needs to be addressed. Sometimes it's not talked about enough. But there was this pastor who was talking about how he's getting ready to go to the porn convention in Las Vegas to share the gospel with people who are in the porn industry because nobody else is telling them. How does that make you feel? Whoa. Like, no way. We're not going there. Those people are tax collectors. They stand for everything that we stand against. And he said they would go and set up a table and they have all these Bibles and all this literature and they have people with them and and they talk to people, share the gospel. You would not believe how many people received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior at a porn convention. And they say, I pray, there's this one particular guy who said, I prayed that if God did not want me to get into this industry, that he would stop me before I got here. And you were the first person I saw when I walked in and reminded me that God has called me and set me apart and I'm not supposed to be here. He went home. Who are the people? Man, I want to move out to Summerlin, you know? Rub, rub elbows with some people who've got some vested interests in the casino industry. We need a bigger building for crying out loud. But Jesus is ministering to people who are about to be out of work. Right? Because once they get saved and their life starts to change, they can't continue to do what they know is wrong. But that's not what Jesus was addressing. He was addressing the issue that they were sick and they needed somebody to heal them. And he was there. So how are we going to pray, church? 
How are we going to act? How are we going to respond by loving people that are difficult to love because they don't line with what we think is right and wrong? Faith, grace. And then we'll see the third here in verse 18. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? That would be a lame premarital party. (laughs) Hey, bachelor party, we're fasting. What are we going to do? Nothing. We're going to go home to my house and we're going to pray, okay? No. They're getting ready for a marriage feast. And, And Jesus says, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or even the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. There's so much talk about this these verses and what they actually mean. Instead of getting caught up in exactly what Jesus is saying, let's look at the big picture that we've started to look at, right? First, it was faith. Next, it was grace. What would the third one be? Jesus is saying very clearly something to them. Hey, you guys don't fast with us. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, we're not going to fast with you. The time will come when they will fast because it's not time to fast because there's about to be something new that happens. This is the pivotal point for the wineskin illustration, that there's going to be something new. This does not give us a piece of the Bible that we can manipulate into telling people in the church context, well, God's doing something new, so you can't put old wine into, or new wine into old wineskins. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this new thing means that we're not doing the old any longer. What was the old in the context of what we just talked about, even in the previous story of Jesus visiting with the tax collector, what would the old wine be? It would be the works. It would be uh, the, the people who were righteous had some position, and the people who were unrighteous had no position and no opportunity. In fact, it reminds me of the, the verse or the portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. I'll read it for you. You can follow along. After he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. <laughs> Did you hear that? After he told this parable to those who trusted in themselves and that they were righteous and despised others, two men went up to the temple to, to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The old system put the emphasis on what you could do for God. Isn't that the essence of what's happening? Why aren't you guys fasting with us? Because we're not doing stuff anymore for God. That's the new wine. By faith, The grace of God has demonstrated that he's going to do something new. And the same thing is true for you and I today because the the whole of humanity, whether they're religious, whether they're they're, uh, identified with a certain cultural religion, whatever the case may be, the whole world puts the emphasis on their own holiness based on what they do. Based on their works. You can talk to anybody and say, hey, are you going to go to heaven? What are they going to say? Well, some people will be like, I'm going to hell's bells or whatever. <laughs> they take some kind of joy in being confident about it. But what do most people say? Yeah, I'm not a bad guy. I mean, I do nice stuff. Got a nice haircut. Hang out with nice people. Uh, sure, I, I think I'll make it. What are they basing that on? They're basing it on who they are, their identity. Their their thought process of of what, and and that's the old, and Jesus is still presenting the new. So in the context of church, when we talk about the wineskin parable, when, when legalism starts to creep into the church, and people start to identify with their relationship with God or, or their relationships in the church based on how much they do and the rights they should have and the access to God they can have, they're starting to go back to the old system. But Jesus, Jesus is saying the new system has no, has no place for the old. You don't put new wine into old wineskins. So we have the faith, we have grace, we have the new work, and then verse 23. Now I, it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some, of those, some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So if we have faith, we have grace, we have a new work, what's the fourth? The rest. Jesus said, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come all to me who are weary and heavy laden. The four is the rest, that there's no longer any work. So by faith they receive the Son of God. In grace he's with them, in fellowship with them. There's a new work that's beginning. And if those three things happen, the next thing that ultimately comes is rest. We get the rest, guys. There's nothing to be anxious about. There's nothing to be worried about. We have confidence before God in the Holy Spirit that he wants us to rest in his work. Rest in his work. It's part of the gospel that every single believer in Jesus Christ has to experience if they are a genuine confessing believer. It's the fourth, 
And it is the first four parts of this clear presentation of the gospel, which leads to the fifth, which is also connected in chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who, uh, who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Jesus knows that they're watching him. Look at that guy. He's a, his hand is crippled. This is our perfect opportunity. Jesus is probably going to heal him. And when he does heal him, we got him. Can you believe? Like, could you process that with me? Are they concerned at all with the fact that this guy is getting healed? No, they're not. Do you know why? Because they're selfish. And if Jesus is right, then their own righteousness is disqualified. And that cannot be. So they're watching. He said to the man with the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by them, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out immediately and plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Say what? They're going to try to kill Jesus because it's not lining up with their worldview? Look at what Jesus says. They kept silent, and when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, these people's hearts were to the point where they were so hardened they could not receive the fact. Not that Jesus wanted to heal this guy. It was bigger than that. They didn't want to receive the fact that he was the Messiah. They rejected that it was possible for this man who stood against everything that they had been raised in culturally was different from what they had expected the Messiah to be. And it was because of that that they were at this place where they're rejecting. This is the fifth. If we enter in by faith and we receive grace, what was the third? He does a new work. He gives us rest. And in that rest, remember, it's on the Sabbath. It's on the Sabbath. In that rest, he brings healing. That's the gospel. That is the very clear gospel that, that Mark is trying to convey to us through these five stories and to wrap it all up in a ball and put a bow on it. It is in the middle of the representation of Jesus being the authority over the authority. This is the, this is the, the reality for us today, guys. If this is not the gospel that we're teaching or we're preaching, or we're sharing, or we're loving others, then we're not sharing the gospel. If we're not telling people that it's by faith that they're saved, 
through grace, not by works, lest any man should boast, then we're not teaching the gospel. If we're not telling people that it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter what they've done, it doesn't matter where they're at, it's the gift of God by his abundant grace that he's given them. If we're not doing that, then we're not sharing the gospel. If we're not willing to tell people that their life is going to change, that it's not going to be the same. Hey, listen, you come to Jesus in faith, you receive his grace, your life is going to change. He's going to do a new work in you. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. If we're not telling them that, then we're not telling them the gospel. If we're not telling people that in Jesus they have rest, if we're in some kind of church context where we point people to serving or we point people to works or we point people to things that need to get done instead of telling them that they have to rest, and allow the things that they do to be a result of the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit in their life, then we're not telling them the gospel. And then again, lastly, I don't know anybody in Jesus who doesn't need to be continually healed. Man, Lord, I need you to heal me. God has brought me so far from who I was before. And it's all in the name of his desire for me to rest. And in that rest produces the healing that I so need. And you guys all know this, even on the physical level, right? If you're sick, what does everybody tell you to do? Just rest. Drink lots of water. And go get in bed, turn on YouTube, and chill. <laughs> or Netflix. I didn't want to, you know, whatever. In sports, somebody gets hurt. What do they tell them to do? Professional football player. Well, I got hurt, but I think I can play the next game. No, you can't. You need to rest, and you need to let your wound heal so that you can be worth something later. Because right now you ain't worth nothing. And as Christians, sometimes we're in a place where there's been hurt. We've, 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 we've been broken as, as, as people, not even as Christians, just as part of humanity in a sinful, uh, in a sinful world. And the gospel says, I want you to rest in me. And as you rest, I'm going to start to heal you so that you can get back to doing what I want you to do. Is that beautiful? There's no health and wealth, positive thinking, positive talking in that whatsoever. I think sometimes God wants us to look at ourselves for who we are. Otherwise, why would he give us five individual stories of five individual people that he gave five messages that all link together? This is it. This is us. So as you go into this week, there's a few things that I'd ask you to do with me, and I'm going to do too. I ask you to pray if you're resting. Ask the Lord. If your confidence is in what he's done for you or if your confidence is in what you could do for him. 
Whatever the answer to that question is, the next thing, what needs healing? A lot of times we know already, you know, because we got a big open gash on our arm. That needs healing. Look at your life. Look at your heart. What needs to be healed? And approach the Lord in such a way to ask him, Lord, I know this is part of the gospel. I know this is part of the process. I want this to get better. I don't want to be sick. Instead of coming to him in some false sense of righteousness. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm ready to go. No, you're not okay. Stop saying that. Identify what the problem is so that he can start to heal you. And as the Lord is doing this, not with the emphasis on this, but as the Lord is doing this in you, make sure you're looking for opportunity by his grace to share this gospel with somebody else, to share it with them. You know, there's a lot of people that you guys know that would be open to you reading a couple of verses out of the Bible to them. And this is a short little section of Scripture. What about just saying, hey, listen, check this out. This is what we talked about in church today. It, 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 it blew my mind, because you know it did. It blew my mind. Check this out. There's these five things, and, and Jesus is over the authority of the day, and the first thing he does is tell them that it's by their faith, and then he demonstrates grace to them, and that he's going to do a new work, and that, that he wants them to rest, and he wants them to heal. Is there anything in your life that you would like God to heal you of? Well, we can't go to step first five. Let's go to step one, faith. Do you believe that he's capable through his son, Jesus Christ, to start that process now. That it's not anything that you've done to deserve it. It's by his grace that he loved you. Be bold. You know why? Because this is good news in the midst of bad news. This is good. And we'll see as we follow the Lord, continue to follow him, continue to study his word, continue to apply it, how he continues to change us, to heal us, to use us, and prepare us for the next step that he has in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we, we're so in awe of your grace. We are a people like like we mentioned before, who, who want to be able to do it all. You know, we want to be able to say we can handle it. We want to be able to say that, that we can take it. We want to be able to say that, that, that we're good enough, that we're healthy, that we're fine. But the reality is, Lord, that we need you so bad. We need you so bad. We want to... We wanna, exemplify the faith that we started in. We want to continue, God, on a daily basis to receive the grace that we so desperately need for you, from you. God, we, we, we thank you for the new work that you started and that you're faithful to bring to completion. God, we thank you for giving us rest, taking the burden off of us blessing us and for your continued hand of healing placed on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.